Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Brent Gove with Keller Williams Realty in Roseville, California. Last year, he closed 168 transactions with a total sales volume of $63 million. His average sales price was $375,000, of which 58% were buyers and 42% were sellers. He operates a team with 17 members, 10 showing agents, one listing agent, one operations manager, one transaction coordinator, one closing manager, one photographer, one runner, and one team leader. Brent Gove is the team leader of Brent Gove Real Estate. He's been an agent for 17 years and works the Sacramento market. Brent sold 429 homes worth $168 million and earned $3.9 million in gross commission income in his best year. In this call, Brent talks about starting slowly and only selling eight homes his first year. The first discovery that doubled his production up to 48 closings in a year and 395000 in GCI. The second discovery that doubled his production again up to 110 closings in a year and expanded into 429 closings five years later. What it feels like to close 55 homes and net 288000 in one month. Why Brent believes copying success models is the fastest way to success. How he built his business on large-scale open houses. His one radio ad that brought in an extra 300000 last year. Why you need to master lead generation. Teaching buyer agents to generate their own leads. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Brent. Thanks a lot, Mike. Hey, Brent, it's great to have you here. Brent, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, raised in a middle-class family in Southern California and moved to Northern California in 1976 when my grandfather passed away. My mom wanted to be by her mom, so we moved to Sacramento and I you know, I went to high school and then from there went off to Chico State, a nice uh, little what I call Bible college up north. Just kidding. It was the number one party school in America at one point, <laughs> <laughs> but I call it a nice small little Bible college. But um, the funny thing is there, I actually did become a Christian there, but uh, that's just a whole other story. But um, and then after college, I got into sales. I've always uh, just uh, done very well with sales, love people. I'm outgoing. And it was just um, a fit, and I found, wow, I was going to be a history teacher and a coach, sports coach in high school, and just found I was, you know, right out of college, I was making like four times what I ever would have made as a teacher. I thought, wow, sales 
pays very well. So did sales for a lot of years, did a lot of Zig Ziglar stuff, uh, Dale Carnegie stuff, a lot of, you know, those are your pre-Anthony Robbins people, if you don't know those names for you young people. Um, and uh, and just did a lot of uh, seminars and, and training, did some motivational speaking, all that kind of stuff. And then I got into real estate. How did you decide to get into real estate? What was the switch from general sales to real estate? I, I got a call from a pretty good friend of mine who just said, man, I got my real estate license and it's like a license to print money. It's um, it's amazing. You can do really, really well. There's people, you know, making six, seven, eight hundred thousand a year, a million dollars a year. And I'm like, oh, come on, that's late night TV stuff, you know, cable TV, you know, guy with his foot on the Rolls Royce and two bikini babes, you know. I go, that's <laughs> come on. And he goes, well, just try it. Get your license. You will kill it. I'm like, well, wouldn't hurt. So I did, and. Um, that's how I got into real estate was just a buddy give me a call going, you ought to do this. I was 30 years old. I'm now 48. So that was uh, 17 and a half, almost 18 years ago. When you first started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? You know, um, I honestly, I struggled. I didn't uh, set any records. I remember doing it for like 45 days. I hadn't made a sale. I'm like, what the world? This is crazy. I thought, the, I just, I don't know. I just, you know can figure it out. And I, my broker gave me some great advice that um, holds true to this day. And he's a real simplistic guy. It was a small office with like five people. That was it. A little boutique brokerage. He goes, just get people in your car. Find a way to get them in your car, show them property. And if you'll get them in your car and you'll show them property, they'll get themselves excited and want to write offers, then drag them back to the office and I'll help you write the offer. So I went, okay, that's how you do it. You get them in your car and you show them. So I just really worked hard at getting, calling people and getting them to go out and look at property. And I say, I'll pick you up. I'll meet you. And you build that relationship. And uh, he was right. You know, I started, you know, getting, not having them do drive-bys, but going out and showing them three, four, five, six, seven homes. And the next thing I knew, they were finding homes and all excited and wanted to write an offer. And I drug them back to the office and, you know, like 45 minutes away back to the office. And they didn't care. They were pumped. Now I would think that would be a little extreme. I didn't know any better at the time. That's just all I had. I sure as heck didn't know how to write the offer. So, you know, I didn't set any records. I think my first year I sold eight or nine houses. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. Let's move forward a little bit. You've been selling homes now for about 17 years? Yeah, a little over, almost 18 years now. Last year, how many homes did you sell? 168, 168 homes. Now, I have a team. I don't do that all myself. Do you recall the sales volume on that? Yeah, um, $63 million in sales, yes. And I pretty much took a few years off five years ago, four years ago. So I, uh, and three years ago, I took a few years off real estate. So I kind of rebuilt my team literally from in the past two years up to that number. I've, I've kind of put that together in about the last 24 months, maybe 30 months. Can you tell us what you did in your best year and what year that was? How many homes did you sell then? Probably, if anyone was in the real estate business back in 2005, it was probably all of our best year. I did uh, 429 sales that year, and uh, the sales volume was 100 and 
um, I believe it was 160, uh, 168 million, interesting enough. So yeah, so uh, not, not too shabby. My goal was a quarter of a billion. At the time I wanted to build a, build a, a billion dollar sales team within a normal real estate brokerage. <laughs> so amazing. I was one of about 70 agents and I did 168 million in that office. Wow. That is fabulous. Do you, do you ever happen to recall what the gross commission, the GCI was on that? Yeah. Um, $3.9 million. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. And we live in uh, Sacramento. Our average price home was the lowest in California. One of the, one of the lowest. For a large match, for a large metropolitan city, it was the lowest. Well, you were doing a lot of volume, 429 transactions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of showing agents, and um, so you can get more done. And, you know, many hands make the load light. You're on track this year to do a little better than last year. What is your uh, objective this year as far as number of transactions and volume? We're on track to do 200 sales this year, up from 168 to 200. The market actually hit uh, the peak in, a- in April here in Sacramento. It's actually been pulling back, and prices have actually been dropping. So it has gotten tougher this summer, I won't kid you. But I'm, I'm not letting go of, go of that goal of 200 like a bulldog. So the goal is 200 sales at an average sales price of 401000 for a total grand total of $80 million this year. How many homes have you sold in your career? You know, you you'd ask me to kind of figure that out, and yeah, I wish I could. Ha- I wish I had a diary and exact step by step, but it, it's well over three thousand homes. Uh, I would say between three to four thousand homes, and uh, well over eight hundred and fifty million dollars worth of real estate. Oh, that's fabulous! Well, now here's the question I have for you. You started out slow by your own admission there that it was eight or nine homes the first year and and then somehow you went from there to selling you know 168 last year 200 this year you had a wild year where you did 400 you know what was the difference what what was the transition from from doing kind of the average agent number of sales to these extraordinary number of sales uh, that's, a, that's a great question mike um well the the my second year i think i did um 19 sales I mean, I really didn't set any records. I'm not that bright. <laughs> I graduated from high school with a 2.3 GPA. I went to college and busted my tail at a very easy college after being um, <laughs> after being declined twice. Chico State turned me down twice. I have never met anybody who's been declined by that college. It's like a, it's practically a uh, you know community college, the state college. But uh, anyway, so the third time they finally let me in. And I, I did get my GPA up to 3.2, but let me tell you, this is no Harvard, Stanford, you know, Cal, Yale, this is nothing like that. So I'm just a normal guy, but but um, I did 17 homes my second year, then I did like 28 homes my third year, and I really buckled down the fourth year and did like 48. And it was just, you know, just learning, figuring stuff out, and, and I, but I made about $395,000 that fourth year. Um, with the 48 sales, made about almost 400,000. I'm like, this is this is fun. I like this. I have to work when I want to work, and if I want to fire a client, I can fire a client. But what changed, Mike, to answer your question, was in that fourth year, my neighbor, uh, he comes up to me, and he goes, hey, how's it going? I go, man, it's going awesome. I just happened to pick up like five checks. 
and I waved him in the air at him. And my neighbor's a real type A aggressive chain smoking. He sold boxes, the corporate box salesman. He rips the checks out of my hand. They were envelopes. Starts opening them, and they, it was like forty-three thousand dollars worth of checks I was put in the bank, just income for my wife and I. And he, and, he, and he goes, "That's it, I'm done." I go, "What do you mean I'm done?" He goes, "I'm quitting my job today." He, I go, "What are you talking about, Mike?" He goes, "No offense, man, but if you can do this, I'm gonna kill it." And um, and he quit his job and got into real estate, and we raced that month. And uh, I sold six homes, and he sold seven. He beat me his first month. He copied everything I was doing, which was very smart. And he sold seven homes his first month in real estate. He went on to sell. At his peak, he sold over 300 homes in a year within about four or five homes. Four or five years, he sold over 300 homes. But um, wow. what, what, I still haven't answered your question. What changed my life besides you know becoming a Christian and meeting Jesus and, and all that stuff was this. What changed my life was um, in real estate was when he called me on a Friday night and he goes, he'd been in the business like six months. He goes, what are you, what are you doing this weekend? I go, oh, I'm showing property, doing some open houses. He goes, no, you're not. You're going to Toronto with me. Now, Toronto, Canada was like thousands of miles away. And it was 9 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm not going to Toronto. He goes, yeah, there's this real estate seminar. It's going to be great. And I'd never really been to real estate seminar before, and a, a big one. And, um, and he goes, yeah, you got to go. So I said, I'm not going. And by 11.30 at night, he's look, I got my credit card out. I'm buying your ticket. You're coming. I go, I'm not going. He's up oh, too late. I just bought your ticket. I just, and we, we went to cheaptickets.com. He got me kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'll go. It was $1,900 for the airline ticket. It was like the last seat on the plane to Toronto. And I'm like, don't do it. He's, I'm buying it. Don't do it. And he, he pulled the trigger and bought my seat. He goes, I just wasted $1,900 if you don't come. I'm like, you sucker. So um, I went. And that changed my life. I learned how to leverage through marketing. I learned how to leverage through databases. I learned how to leverage through hiring staff. And in other words, if you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant. Assistants make 12, 14 bucks an hour. That's what you're worth. You are worth 12 to 14 bucks an hour if you don't have an assistant. End of story, I can't afford it. Yep, you're worth 12 to 14 an hour. So I learned how to take some chances, calculated risks. And from there, I went from 48 the next year to 110 sales. The next year, like 180. The next year, I did like um, 227. The next year, 288. And then I went to like 333. Then I, the next year, like 429. And then, of course, the market crashed and everybody's businesses went down in 06, 07, 08, 09. For California, it was June, July of 05. I sold 55 homes in a month. I closed escrow and got paid 55 times. And the next month, it was like someone turned the lights out and it never recovered in Sacramento, California. And that was July uh, 2005. So that's why I sold all my properties and made a ton of money. I sold at the peak. They say you can't time the market. Bull. We knew. We knew. I went back to my corp. Everybody knew. It was something that dramatically had happened. The rest of the United States didn't know till 06, but we knew uh, summer of 05. But there's my little rambling rant of what happened to Brent. It was, it was education, and I started going to seminars. That changed my life. 
Brent, I, I want to dig one more step down in there. You you were around the eight to nine closings the first year, and you jumped to 19, 28, and 48, those, those few first years. What were you doing in those first few years before you learned leverage? How did you get yourself up to 48? If there was someone listening to us, and they wanted to go from eight to 10 to 20, 30, 40, and they wanted to follow your path, you know, what did you do and what could they do? I think what happened when I jumped, you hear me say I went from like 28 to 48, right? Right. That was the big jump year because, you know, getting to 28, if you just put your head down and work hard, you can do. But then I went from 28 to 48, which is, uh, you know, darn near doubling. And um, what happened was I copied success. I I looked around, saw who was exceeding, and I emulated them. And uh, there was a guy who was winning all the HUD home bids no-name company, and he was handing it to Remax, handing it to Coldwell Banker, to Prudential, to Century 21. He was beating Lions, the local town big agency. He was beating like the big five, and he was John Brooks Realty. It was like a no-name company. No one had ever heard of him, and this guy was, was, was outproducing everybody. I'm like, this guy has some sort of secret, and I should quit working at Remax and go work for him and learn what he knows, because he was outproducing the five, the big five in, in Sacramento, a million, million people, greater area, a million people. And so I stumbled across his secret and um, I copied him. And he was, he was, uh, ma- he had mastered open houses and I simply copied him. And I went from 28 to 48 by copying his open house strategy. A little bit further down in the call, we're going to go into what you've been doing with open houses so thank you for, for letting us know that was a transition for you, and it sounds like it, it really blew up. Before we do that, let's, let's actually take a quick step back and let everybody know where you are. Where is Roseville, California? Exactly. Roseville, California is a suburb of Sacramento. We're about 20 miles east, uh, northeast of the more east of Sacramento off the Highway 80 corridor, heading up into Lake Tahoe and Reno and Nevada. And then as you keep going, you go to Colorado and Utah, Colorado, all that. But um, we're Northern California. We're about an hour and a half from San Francisco and about an hour and a half from Lake Tahoe. We're right in the middle of the most fertile valley in the world, Sacramento, California. Do you know the population there in Sacramento Metroplex area? Yeah, it's, it's about a million people in the great area. And that's your market. You're working that market. Yeah, now I've even expanded because of radio. So I, I will actually go out about 100 miles in all directions. You know, it's, it's a, I, I, I don't really go unless I can make a minimum of 10 grand. Otherwise, I refer it out. But if I can make 10 grand or more, I'll go. And uh, sometimes it's twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 checks. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'll drive an hour. I never go back to the house. It's a one-time shot. You're like, how do you do that? I do it. I mean, I list them. I never, ever set foot back in the house. I have I have other people show the homes. I, if someone wants to see it, I get an agent in that area, and I have them show it. And they're happy to show it. They pick up the buyer client, and when it sells, I'll make 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 grand, and that's worth an hour drive, hour and a half drive to me. Describe your current real estate market. The average price here in Sacramento is $301,000. It's really a middle, uh, it's just a Newport Beach, this isn't Hollywood, Beverly Hills, the Bay Area, San Francisco. This is just a real solid middle class America. 
So very middle class area. Yeah, we have our luxury pockets, but it's uh, very much a not a lot of poor, not a lot of rich. It's just solid middle class with our luxury pockets. Um, average days on market is about, um, I think, 59 days last I looked, about two months. And um, we grew for about two years, and we grew at 58%. Our median price grew 58% in the past 24 months. It peaked in April, and we've been uh, declining ever since. It's the only way I can explain to people, we're not crashing, but it's like, you know, the wave comes in and then it pulls back out. It's like the tide pulling out. And there's not a tsunami coming or anything like that. But, uh, but um, it, you know, it's just, it's become, it was a total seller's market last fall. And it's an aggressive buyer's market right now. Prices are declining. The only way sellers are good, we see this in the computer all the time. $30,000 price reduction, you know. Hurry over, $50,000 price reduction. But people, you think, wow, that seems like a big drop. Well, people were pricing so high because everyone knew it was a seller's market. And now they're realizing, man, I'm not going to get anywhere near that. So they're dropping the price 25, 30, 40, 50 grand. And, um, and then they're getting activity. So that we never saw. So we, we're in the middle of a, of a big shift here in Northern California. And it's tougher. It's tougher to sell like that, no doubt about it. In your lead generation that you're currently doing now, what are your top three methods for lead generation? Top three methods are open houses have always been our, our backbone of what we do. Radio has really become huge for me. It's always been big, but it's become just the jumbo jet, the, I don't know, the Learjet of what we're doing, the Concorde um, radio is just huge for me right now. It's actually outproducing the open houses, oddly enough. But I'm spending more money than ever before, so go figure. And then um, I would say um, repeat business and referral business from our past clients is number three. Let's dive into each of those. Let's get into the open houses. You've become a master at open houses. You're known for it around the country. When I ask people about open houses, your name comes up quite a bit. How many open houses have you done in your career? I bet you more than anybody listening to this call. <laughs> I, I love them. I only do them Saturdays and Sundays. I've never done an open house on a Monday through Friday. Never done one on a Friday. Never done one. Only do them on the weekends. That's uh, I'm a weekend warrior. That's when the buyers are out looking and dreaming about you know living in certain neighborhoods. So uh, I do them on the weekends and. Um, I could, the number, I couldn't even tell you. I don't do them anymore, you know. I don't need to. I've got 10 showing agents. I teach all of them how to do that. So every weekend, we have anywhere from, uh, I would say, uh, 10 to 20 open houses happening every weekend. And it's like a net, man. You're no longer fishing with a pole. You're like trolling with, you're like commercial fishermen with a net, and you're just reeling in the, the, the big catch, you know, from every weekend. So, you know, open houses, if you master them, you only have to just burn it up for maybe three or four months before you're so busy, you can't do them both days. And then you're just doing them on Sundays. And then um, you're on Saturdays, you have so many clients, you're showing property every two hours, 9, 11, 1, 3, 5, 7, writing offers at 9, 10, 11, midnight, 1 in the morning. I, I do that all the time back in the day. I don't work that hard anymore, but I, I used to do that. 
I should take my time off during the week, you know, take the kids to the pumpkin patch. I was the dad with 40 women because I, I would take my time off during the week, snow ski during the week, water ski during the week. But on the weekends, I would put in 18 hours on a Saturday and 18 hours on a, on a Sunday. I would just burn it up. But my family saw me plenty Monday through Friday. So I don't know. I think I got off track. Did it help me finish answering that question? So it sounds like you're, don't even know how many open houses you've done. Could you take a wild guess? Um, I, I couldn't even take a wild guess. I would, I do them in the rain. I do them when it was 105. People say, Hey, I got a houseboat. Come up to Lake Shasta, go houseboating. Nope. Follow my business plan. And so I would, I would do them like the mailman in, in the rain nor snow nor gale force. I've bungee cord signs to telephone poles. That's if you skip, your lead generation system, whether you're a door knocker or you're calling expireds or you're doing open house, if you skip whatever it is you do to lead generate, it's like driving your car and skipping gas station after gas station and a gas station. Sooner or later, you're going to run out of gas. You're going to get, you're going to, you're going to be in big trouble. All of a sudden you're borrowing money from your relatives to pay your bills because you messed up and it was your own dumb fault, man. I, I did them. In fact, my best turnout, and this will keep people from, uh, we should have started with this. Um, my best day was on a real stormy, rainy day. No, everyone canceled their open houses, but not Brent. I was so drenched by the time I put the signs out. And we didn't talk about it, but I put out like 30 signs. I used to put out five and get no turnout. The open houses suck. And then I learned to put out 30. And it's not just putting out the 30, but it's what you say and what you do with the open houses. But I put out the 30. Nobody was doing them. So everybody came to my open house, which there weren't many people out looking. But because there were none... It all focused on my open house. So in three and a half hours, I was able to get 37 strangers, guests that came into that open house, 37 of them, to give me their private social security numbers. I'm not talking about their name and their phone number. I'm talking about I was so convincing, and what I had to say was so different from what anybody else says in an open house. I was able to get them to part with their private social security numbers, and every single one of them was accurate. Not one was made up. And I never asked them for the social security number, but what I said and what I did, they just gave it to me because I, 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 I inspired them. I motivated them to fill out a little three-by-five card I had. And that's all, I can get into the details of that later, but on there it said social security number, so they just put it down. And right below that it said authorization to pull credit, and they'd sign their names. And um, so I was able to pull the credit reports of 37 people that I met in a three and a half hour period in a rainstorm on a Sunday afternoon, and 19 of them got approved to buy homes. And by Monday, I called back 19 buyers and said, congratulations, Mike Cerrone, you're approved to buy a home all the way to $480,000. If you spend that much money, your payment will be $3,100 a month at a three and a half percent down. Now, I know you said it, you, want, you want to have a payment of $2,300 a month. So really, you need to spend no more than three hundred and ninety thousand. And um, congratulations, Mike. And they would be so fired up. I go, hey, our next step is, and that's what a leader says. Our next step is, I want you to come to the office. Let's talk about these homes you're looking for. I'm going to pull some. Let's meet. And then I, you know, and that's how I sold a lot of homes. Um, I was able to, by doing that, set a goal to sell thirty homes in 30 days, not a year. Most real estate agents set a goal to sell, okay, this year I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna sell 30 homes for the year. That's because those agents don't have a clue 
what lead generation is all about. And if you'll master lead generation, whether, again, that's door knocking, um, farming, open houses, calling the expires, whatever, you master that, selling 30 homes a year is a joke. You'll start setting goals like I did. Okay, I've got the clients. I didn't have five clients or 10 clients. How can you sell 30 homes in 30 days if you have five or 10 clients? If you have 10 clients and you're 100% successful, you're selling 10 homes. I had 60, 70, 80 clients. Yeah, how do you service them all? You don't. I lose them all the time. Who cares? Most agents have one or two and they lose one and some other agent sells them a house they bumped into and they're, they're sending them you know, cut out letters out of a magazine threatening their life. Like, you stole my client. How dare you? And it's like, it's disgusting. Nobody owns their clients unless you sign the buyer broker. But we don't own our clients. You have the right to give them good service. I lost them all the time, and I didn't care. I'm like, hey, I'm so happy you found a house. It really didn't bug me. But um, that month, I set a goal to sell 30 homes in 30 days. I failed. I told everyone I'd do it. I didn't. I only sold 14, all buyers, one at a time. But I sold a home every other day for an entire month. And anyone listening to this call, if you sold a home every other day for the next 30 days, it'll change your life. I think I made almost $80,000 that month. And that's why my friend told me real estate is a license to print money. It's up to you. If you make excuses, you get to keep them. Um, what was a great saying? Um, excuses are like armpits. Everyone's got a couple and they stink. Yeah, or I've heard Zig Ziglar says this this way, you know, if you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. Think about that. Well, I do what Brent did, but I don't have a nice car. Fine, I guess you'll stay in your crummy car. Uh, well, I do what you did, but I don't have the skills you had. Well, go buy a Dale Carnegie book. Go get some Zig Ziglar DVDs and CDs. Go do an Anthony Robbins course. And I'm not a huge Anthony Robin's fan, I love a lot of what he does, and some of his stuff just isn't a fit for me. But uh, he's an amazing guy, and I certainly can learn a lot from him. And he, I think he's amazing. I, I, he's great. But um, be a student of life and quit telling me why you can't do this. Well, uh, our average sales price is only $150. Or, you know, whatever. You know, you may need to move or whatever. Or oh, I'm not willing to move. Okay, fine. But there's things you can do in your market. I know I got off track again, so I'm going to hand the mic back to you, Mike. <laughs> well, well, Brent, that's all right. You're doing a fantastic job. So you mentioned in this best open house that you had, you had 37 people give you their Social Security number. 19 of those folks got approved. The follow-up question is, how many of those 19 ended up closing with you? You know, back in that day, I wish I could, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I wish I could tell you I tracked it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that number. I honestly don't know. So I'm going to be honest and say I don't know. On a side note, though, what about the 18 that didn't get approved? I learned because they did a lot of open houses to call them back and say, I learned to ask the mortgage broker, well, why, not, why aren't they approved? Well, they had a bankruptcy six months ago. It'll be another three years before they can buy, three and a half years. Or they had a, a foreclosure two years ago. They can't buy for another two years. So I would call back, call back the buyer and say, hey, Mike Cerrone, congratulations, you're approved to buy a home in 24 months. Or they'd say, man, their credit score is like 520. It would take them, if they worked at it, about eight months to get their credit score into shape. And then, yeah, in eight months, they could probably buy a home for half a mil. So I'd call them back and say, hey, Ben, hey, Susie, congratulations, you're approved to buy a home in eight months for $500,000. 
So all 37 got approved to buy a home. Some instantly, 19 instantly, but the other 18 got approved in however long my mortgage broker thought it would whip them into shape to buy. And they all felt like champions. They said, hey, I'm sorry, you got bad credit. You know, call me when you get your life together, loser. Now, of course, we never talk to people like that, but that's how they feel. Hey, I'm sorry of bad credit. You know, call me someday when you, you know, when things are better for you. I mean, that's just horrible. So I approved every one of them, and I said, my mortgage broker's a, a credit expert. He will massage your credit report into A+. Plus. Would you like some help? Every single person said yes. So I got the other 18 that were declined with my mortgage broker. He starts using the software systems, and, and then when they're ready, he flips them back to me. That is a great, great takeaway from this call. People haven't learned how to do that. Wow. So you're basically getting them into credit counseling. And you're getting them excited about the fact that there's actually a time frame, a timeline that they can start running on. Yeah, exactly. And with my mortgage broker, who's going to flip them back to me, not some and Blue Water Credit, Titan Credit Repair. There's a, uh, hundreds of companies out there. They may forget you. They may not flip them back to you when they're ready. So my mortgage broker, that's what he does. He's a 25-year veteran. And it's in his database, and my name's attached, so they definitely come back to me. That's why it's important to send them to your mortgage broker. Hopefully, you have a mortgage broker who does that. We now have a picture of what your absolute best open house was. How about the average open house? When you're doing an open house, what is your average expectation? For instance, how many people do you expect to come through the door? How many leads? How many clients and closings? What's your expectation at your average open house? These days, I expect 20 to 50. In the boom market, it was 50 to 100. These days, it's more like a minimum of 20 to 50. We put out about 30 signs. Um, spend time putting your signs out. A lot of you try to get your signs out in five minutes, and you wonder why it doesn't work. Well, you didn't prepare. I don't mind spending an hour putting Open house starts at 11. I start dropping the signs at 10. And um, I'll run the signs for miles. Some of you are like, and well, I'm out in this little suburb and the traffic will be, well, where's the traffic good? Well, about two, three miles away, there's a major interfere. Good, start your signs there. Well, I don't have enough signs. That's ridiculous. It's like saying I want to go to Orlando, Florida in my airplane, but I only got half a tank of gas. Well, get the money and get the other half a tank. I don't have it. Well, in business, we call raise some capital, sell your Harley Davidson, sell your you know, your dumb, big, stupid TV that wastes all your time anyways for 400 bucks. Well, I paid four grand for it. Sell it for 400 and go buy $400 worth of signs. And now you can reach the thoroughfare and you can tap into, it's like if you've ever given blood, they don't just shove your arm. They work around and they, till they find the vein, that big fat vein, then they pop the little deal in and then the blood comes gushing in. If they miss, it comes dribbling in and everybody's upset about it. So same thing with your dumb open house, duh, go run your signs. To, I'd run them off the freeway. I'd run them off Highway 80 that goes from San Francisco to Colorado. Uh, at the off-ramps, I had signs, and then they'd run for about three or four miles out to Antelope, but I've had 100 people show up to an open house. But you know what? I planned for it, I worked for it, and I got it. Now, were every house open house like that? No. Did I have some bummers, some bombshells? Some blue sky days where nobody showed up? Yep. Why is that? I don't know. But my business plan was to do them Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, and not two to four, not one to four. 
I would start at 10 or 11 and go till 5 or 6. I'd do 7, 8 hours. I'd work like a man, work like a woman, you know, put in some time. And then, you know, sometimes it was slow and it'd pick up. And by the afternoon, they're coming in the door so quick you can't talk to them all. And you're trying to shut down at 5 or 6 and you're just pouring through the door. And there are times it was dead. Boo-hoo. Oh, well. You just you follow your business plan. And you know what? I ended up with so many clients, you can't do them Saturday and Sunday. It's only like two, three months of doing that. If you really do it, you can't continue to do it past two or three months. It's short-term pain, long-term gain. You're so busy showing property that I need Saturdays to show property. You just do your open houses on every Sunday. And people will beg you to show property on Sunday. You say, no, I have a commitment. You don't tell them you have an open house. You just say, I'm already booked. And you do your open house. You don't miss the gas station. You constantly put fresh wood on the fire. You constantly have an influx of fresh clients on top of you. Otherwise, clients can get stale. You go through the good ones. You left with the stale ones. And then you're trying to show the stale ones. And they don't buy. And they don't buy. And they don't buy. And all of a sudden, you're like, you're in trouble financially. So you always, whatever it is you do to lead generation, you never stop that. Um, and then I would get so busy that I could do open houses every other Sunday. And then every third Sunday. But and, and, and you know, you just know when you got the mojo, when you got the momentum, you'll know when it, when it's time. So I don't know if that was the answer to your question, but there you go. So Brent, it sounds like in a slower market, your average number of people coming through are 20 to 50. Out of those 20 to 50 people, what would be your average expectation for number of leads or closings? Oh, man. Yeah, it just depends. You know, 20 is one number, 50 is a whole nother number, right? I give you an example. The other day I went to, and I only, by the way, don't take the open house that your star agent's giving away. He's giving it away because it's probably a crummy location. You, what you want to do is look for the good locations. So decide, A, where you're going to work. And, and I do that by price point. There's some neighborhoods where I could do really well when I was new, like Antelope, but the average sales price is 220 I want to be up at 400 So guess what? I don't do open houses in Antelope anymore, neither does my team, because there's great people there, but the price is just too low. We go, we have a place called Lake Folsom out here, and around the lake is, is towns called Roseville, Rockland, Loomis, Granite Bay, Folsom, and El Dorado Hills. That's where we do our open houses. That's only where we do our open houses, because the price point, the average is like uh, around four, four, I don't know, probably average is 450 and so we're, you know, if you want to catch um, a marlin, you don't go to the mountains. You know, if you want to catch a bass, you don't go to a, a little creek that's four feet across and two feet deep. You might get some little native trout, little brookie trout, and that's fun. But what are you fishing for? Then go do your open houses. I would call other companies, Century 21, Prudential, Coldwell Banker, Remax, you name it. I'd call them and say, hey, Mike. I see your listing out in Folsom by the lake over there. Wow, that's a beauty. Have you sold it yet? No, did you got a buyer for me? I said, no, but I do have time on my hands. I noticed it was vacant. I would only call the vacant homes. I noticed it was vacant. Can I go hold that open for you this weekend? And some agents would go, yeah, sure, go ahead, because I'm going to the mountains. I'm going to take time off. Go for it. That'd be awesome. I go, yeah, see if I could sell it for the both of us. Okay, other agents go, no, my, I have a buyer's agent holding it open, or no, I'm holding it open, or no, our broker won't allow other agents from other companies to hold it open. But if I usually reach two or three agents, one of them would give me a phenomenal open house in a killer neighborhood 
and an awesome location. So the other day I'm in the place called the Promontory, which overlooks Lake Folsom. Prices run 600 to a million. And in about an hour and a half, I had eight clients come through and I was eight for eight. I got all their phone numbers, all their information. The average sales price was probably about 750. Um, so that's a good use of my Sunday afternoon. I go to church every Sunday morning. I never start work on Sunday till like uh, 11 or noon, depending upon what service I go to. If I go to the 9 a.m., I'm out at 10.30, I can start at 11. And if I go to the 11, then I get out at 12.30 and I can start around 1. But um, that's a good use of my Sunday afternoon. And I'd met them, shaken hands with them, and connected with them on a great level. And then you just rock it out. So there you go. Brent, you mentioned that at this open house, you were eight for eight. Eight of the people that came through, you were able to get their contact information. How did you do that? Is there a, a certain method, approach, or script that you're using that's making that happen? People use sign-in books. I don't believe in them. I, I think people resent them. People, are, I don't want to sign in. I just want to look at the dumb open house. You can make me sign and give you my name, my number, my address. I don't even know. You're just going to spam me with stuff, call me. See, I, I'm not a believer in the calling book, but, you know, I've never used one, so I guess I shouldn't put them down. Um, but um, I just say, I treat people the way I, come on in, look around, I'm here when you need me. You know, I don't walk up and say, hi, I'm Brent, here's my business card, I work for Keller Williams. You know, can I help you? You know, it's like it's like you walk into a furniture store, and a lot of those people come right up to you, can I help you? It's like, no, I just want to look around, I'll, I'll get you when I need you. And and I, I I don't like that. Uh, so I I don't I don't run up to people and give them my card. They get a pride out of my cool dead hand. Giving out your business cards does nothing. You better get their information. If they take my card, as far as I'm concerned, I completely failed. Even if they asked for it, I failed. If I don't have their information, but um, to answer your question, yeah, I would just say I'm here when I need me. So Mike, let's say you you wander around the house, you come back, you go. So how much is this? I go. Oh, it's a uh, uh, $427,000. It's $858,000. Oh, okay. Then I immediately, I go on the offensive. I go, so you've been out looking long? And they'll say, no, I just saw 30 of your signs. God, you got them everywhere. I go, wonderful. And, and I go, so, um, or they say, yeah, I've been looking for about six months. I go, oh, really? Are you looking in this price range? And I just start asking questions because whoever's asking questions is in control of the conversation. And they go, uh, yeah, we're looking actually up to about a million. I go, really? Now, this is a single story. Are you looking for a single story with a two-story? Um, and the reason I ask is because I, I have at my office 70 agents, and we're the top listing office in this area, and we network. I get stuff all the time that comes on the market, uh, but I have advance notice, so I can actually show you properties that are for sale that aren't quite on the market yet in the MLS, so that's why I'm asking. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we definitely want a single story. And I just start chatting with them a little bit. And I said, you know what you could really use? And they go, what? I go here, and I give them a list of properties. It's little one-liners, you know, 1025 Champagne Circle, Folsom, California, the price, the bedrooms, the bath, the square footage. And that's one line. And there's like, I have maybe 15 to 30 on a page. And I go, right here, I this this list is what you need. They go, why? I go, it's every home on here is vacant. And most of these sellers are freaking out. Let me explain. Like this one here, 700,000. 
they probably went and bought another home for eight or nine hundred thousand. So now they're making mortgage payments on one point six million dollars worth of real estate. Let me ask you a question, Mike. Would you be highly motivated to sell your property if you were making double mortgage payments? They go, absolutely. So I write vacant on top of the list. I just handwrite it as I'm talking to them. I write motivated, and I go, I'll tell you right now, some of these people are desperate. And I write the word desperate. I go, if you want to get your best deal, I mean, a view property, some of these people cannot handle the stress. They make one payment of 3200 bucks on this property or 2400 on an empty house, it's right down the drain. They're freaking out. They're wondering if they missed the market or whatever. These are the homes you could save thirty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars on. And I publish this list every Friday, and I write the word "publish" on there. I'm the only agent you can get it from. I specialize in the vacant homes. Now I'll sell you any home if you want to see one. But if you want my vacant home list before you leave today, just give me your email. It's pretty puppy dog right there. That was critical what I said today. If you want to get my vacant home list every Friday before you leave today, just leave me your email. Sounds kind of harmless, right? Well, they look at each other and go, what do you think, honey? Yeah, sounds great. And I go, yeah, and then I'll send it to you every Friday, and then it might be a month or two or three from now. You call me, and you can go, here's my business card. You can go onto the property. This is your passport to the property, my business card. Don't lose it. Oh, I won't. They put it in their wallet. If anybody asks you, you pull out my card and tell them I said you could be there. Every home's vacant, and you can walk onto that property. It's vacant. You can look right through the windows. You can, you know, if the side gate's open, you know, between me and you, I don't care if you go in the backyard. It's vacant. They want you to go check it out. Make sure there's no dogs. Um, yell. I don't want you to get bit by a dog in the backyard, so do be very careful with that. But this is your passport to the property. People all the time call me and go, oh, my gosh, this is a really well-priced property. Why? Because it's vacant. They're, they burn their bridges. They're serious. They live there. They live there like, well, if we don't get our price, maybe we'll sell next year. You know, there's no motivation. They get that. And I go, so they go, yeah, yeah, here's my uh, email. And I write it on that little 5 by 7 form. And, and now they've made the biggest mistake of their life. Giving me their email was, the, was, was a colossal mistake on their part. Now, it was actually a really good thing because I'm not going to hurt them or anything. But what I mean by that is now I got them. Now we're exchanging information. They've given me their email. My next words out of my mouth are, well, Mike, we have, as you can see on my list, and I make sure on my list, I have properties at 100000 200000 Actually, for me, my list always start at three. You know why I don't put properties at one hundred and two hundred? Because they'll probably want to buy them. And I don't want to sell hundred dollars to $200,000 properties because it takes just as much time as selling one for $1.4 million. And you make 14 times less. So I don't sell, me no sell $100,000 properties or $200,000 properties. So mine, I make sure on the list, I go, as you can see, my property started at $300,000 and go up to $2 million. I don't want to send you all of these and spam your, your inbox because I'm going to send you actual pictures. This is just an example of what I have this week. You're going to actually get pictures, and the list is different every week. What price range are you in? Like, oh, yeah, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, we're 800 to a million. Oh, we're three to 500,000. Oh, we're, uh, we're between five and 550. And I write that down. I go, now, single story or double story? Oh, oh yeah, thanks for asking. Single story only, I have bad knees. Great. Would you want a three car garage or two? Oh, I want a three. Got to have a three. I got a boat. Okay. Um, how about the lot? How important is the lot to you? Oh, it's you know, not that important. Oh, that's real important. We want a minimum quarter acre, half acre. 
And um, and I go, how about the kitchen? You want granite or tile? Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's got to have granite. It's got to be this, that, or I don't care. How about minimum square footage? Oh, whatever's fine. I go, so 800 square foot home's fine? They go, oh, no, not that. Oh, yeah, well, now that you put it that way, it's got to be at least 2,000. So, I, you know, um, okay, 2,000 plus square feet. How about age of home? Does that? And you can see I'm asking lots of questions. Now we're building rapport. Um, they say, oh, yeah, we want a big lot. You, we actually have four kids. Oh, I got five kids. Really? How old are yours? Oh, ours are this. Oh, same age as mine. Wow, yeah, I thought we looked, looked the same. And, um, and you're just building rapport, you know. And um, I get done with all those questions, and then I say, well, Mike, let me ask you a question. Now, it says here you want to go up to 800000 and you're willing to start between seven and eight. What if I find, and I repeat the home to them, it's a minimum 4,000 square feet. It's got that lake view that you said was a must. You had to have three. It's got a four-car garage. You wanted a pool? It's got a pool with three waterfalls, and the house is tricked out, and it says it's a corporate relocation. They just dumped a hundred grand into the kitchen, and it's not between seven and eight. It's 675 on a half acre. They do. They come out. They sell them today. This stuff does happen, and they're rare, but it happens. I come across them even pre-market. If I come across this, sometimes agents will say, hey, I'm putting the computer tonight at 8 o'clock, and it's 4 o'clock. I got four hours. How do I reach you quick other than your email? And that's the magic at the very, very end. They go, oh, and I said, there's this amazing house. I've described back to them what they just told me they wanted, but it's at a stupid good price. I don't say stupid good price, but I say, it's 675. It's something I would have listed at 775. It's something that will sell in a day. How do I reach you quick? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. And see, I don't say, can I have your cell phone? Their knee jerk reaction is no, you may not have your cell phone. Email me. But you see, when I handed up the creme de la creme, when I served them up a filet mignon with surf and turf, maybe a little lobster on the side with some hot butter, dip that baby in there, some garlic salt for that ribeye, and their mouth's watering, and I've told them exactly what they want. They're like, yeah, here's my cell phone, and, and, and Jenny's like, well, he never answers. Call me, the wife. And here's my cell phone, and, and then he goes, honey, you don't answer. You're as bad as I am, and besides, after work, we go to your parents' house all the time. Give them your parents' number. Oh, here's your parents' number, and, uh, you know, sometimes we're at home. We just don't answer our phones. Here's our home number, and you know what? If it's important, here's my work number. Uh, oh, here's my work. I'll, I'll get seven phone numbers out of people if I've done my job right. If I've inspired them properly. I don't get a faulty number or maybe one. I've inspired them to give me every number they got because they get what I'm – it's a sense of urgency. Every great salesperson knows that. You create that. I, I will have sometimes an hour. I cannot – well, I'm really great. And if they say I'm great on the email, just email me. I fold everything up, hand it back to them, and say it was nice talking to you. If you don't trust me enough to give me a basic form of communication, your cell phone – I'm not the right agent for you. It shocks the living crud out of them, but I love it. I get a certain sense of gratification out of it. I do not let people hide behind their email. I won't work with people who just give me their email. I'm done. I'm done. If I gave up my best pitch and they're still saying, you know, just email us. We're really good on our email. Then I've somehow failed. Um, I'm rubbing them the wrong way. I'm not because nine times out of 10, they give me everything I want. And the one time they don't, they put their hand up in my face. I just email us. It's fine. I fold it up, hand it back to them. I said, you know, you need to find an agent you can work with. If you can't give me a basic form of communication like your cell phone, I'm obviously not the right agent for you. And um, so it, it was nice talking to you guys today. It's funny, man. They are like, they're shocked. And I love it. That's gratifying for me.
So um, <laughs> after doing so many open out, I mean, you got so many leads, you don't need to like kiss somebody's butt and play by their rules. They play by my rules. And I do open houses in high dollar areas, so my prices are up. And um, and and I call other companies that hold their. I have 36 listings right now. 36. I don't hold any of them open. Not occasionally I do if they're in the right area. But I always looking to do the ones and have my agents. When I say hold them open, my agents, I have them in the, the the ideal areas to to go. It's like having your favorite fishing hole on a river on that bend. Off that rock ledge is where I kill them. It's really deep there. That's right. Or um, out in the ocean. Now, out off this reef, 20 miles out, we kill it. And you have your little fishing hole. Same thing with the open houses. So um, there was a very long answer to a short question. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Oh, that was, that was actually excellent. You went really deep into how you make that conversion from someone just walking in to someone who wants to work with you and is is providing you not only their information, but it sounds like a commitment to work further with you. You've built that rapport and it all started with offering them something of value to them. In this case, this list of vacant homes, something that they may or may not be able to get elsewhere. You've kind of packaged it into something that's very attractive. Yep. Yep. Hey, Mike. Yes. I just want to say this. People will copy what I've just done and do horrible. You know what? I wasn't, I didn't sound this good and wasn't this confident when I started either. And you know how I was? I was nervous. My voice would shake. So I want to say if you're just not comfortable and I just don't sound like Brent, you haven't done hundreds and hundreds. And I mean, I did them every weekend for a long time and every other weekend. Then I was training agents. So if I wasn't doing one, I was training and showing agent how to do it. But I mean, I was out there doing it for years and, um, and yeah, I'm good at it. It's like anything. So give yourself a chance to get good at it and realize you're going to have some bomb open houses. So what? So did I, that's supposed to happen, but you'll also have some good ones and keep doing it. And pretty soon you'll have so many clients. They're literally like falling off a platter and, and you're, and you just pick the low hanging fruit. And, and people will they'll meet you and say, we prayed that we'd meet an agent today. We have to buy a home by next weekend. We're paying cash, and we need to be in the house in the next three weeks. So we've got to do a fast escrow, and um, we need something between six and 700000 Well, that's an eighteen dollars to a $21,000 commitment. I've had that happen many times because I put myself in the way. I put myself out there. So, again, I just want to encourage agents that, no, you're not going to sound like me or necessarily have my results. When you start, you're going to have to work at this for two or three months. But within two or three months, I promise you, you'll be kicking butt. But don't try this once or twice and go, didn't work for me. You know, you just got to kind of figure it out and work at it. Brent, you mentioned these vacant open houses. Do you only hold open vacant homes or do you also hold open occupied homes? Only vacant. Now, if we have our own listings, we'll do an occupied. But the reason it's vacant is, 
we we're looking for the very best. I may have I have listings in these areas, but they're not the best. They, they're not. I want curb appeal. I don't care if the kitchen's ripped out and the house is gutted inside. If that baby looks good, they're going to come in. And once they're inside, yeah, they might be shocked. There's no kitchen, but I got them. They've come into my um, spider web, my tro- whatever you want to call it. I got them. They're there. It doesn't matter what the backyard or inside looks like. And I may have a home down the street that's the same price, but it's funky or not as good or the curb appeal. So I will not hold mine open. I don't believe open houses are the way to sell a home. So I'm, I tell all my sellers, I will never do an open house for you, ever. And then occasionally we might do one. But I don't want to be trapped at my listings doing open house at funky locations or houses with funky curb appeal. I want the choice to do them and my team where the very best are. So when you call an agent and it's occupied and, and you say, hey, can I hold it open for you? They're going to tell you no, usually, because you're going to go meet their clients and they go, wow, this Keller Williams agent, because I'm with Keller, or this Prudential agent, maybe you're with Prudential or Century 21, is out working my agent. I think I'm going to fire my agent because you're holding it open. Every-. So the agents naturally will not be so excited to let you hold their occupied listing open. Because, like, they've listed with um, Remax, and you're with Coldwell Banker. And why is that Coldwell Banker? I'm listed with Remax. Why are you? It doesn't make sense to the agents nor the homeowner. But when the home's vacant, I call these things, and maybe their agents, their homeowners going, hey, you going to hold that open this weekend? They're going, fudge, i got to hold it open this weekend. It's open to go to the park or the beach or the river or the lake with my kids. Now they're like, getting pressure. Then some agent calls up and goes, hey, can I hold it open for you? I'll bust my tail for you. See if I could sell. Oh, sure. Go ahead. And you could do both days if you want. If it's in the right location, I'll go out there from 10 to 5 on Saturday, from 10 to 6 on Sunday, and just pump it all weekend. And if it's good, I book it again Monday morning. And I don't tell the agent, oh, my gosh, we had 100 people show up. If you say that, they'll want to hold it open the next weekend. When they go, how to go? I go, oh, I went pretty good. I, I downplay it, you know. Uh, any bites? I go, yeah, I'm working on a few. We'll see how it goes. Hey, um, do you mind if I hold it open again this weekend? And they're going, knock yourself out. You're taking all the pressure off them so they can go do, because most of these listing agents don't like to do open houses and don't like to work on the weekends, and not all of them have showing agents. But usually you call two or three or four, you'll get one. And then that's how you do it. So, yes, the homes we 90% of the time hold open are vacant. The people that are coming through these homes, are you typically finding buyers, sellers, both, and, and in what ratio or percent? You know, the lower the lower you go, it's like 70% buyers, 30% sellers. You go up to these, uh, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar neighborhoods, then it's like you know, 50, 50, 50% buyers, 50% sellers. And they're, they're all buyers, but 50% of them have a home to sell or a home that's in escrow, they're out looking without their agent. For me, I never ask, this is important, Mike, I never ask a buyer if they have an agent. I really don't care. A lot of you say, oh, do you have an agent? And they go, yeah, I have an agent. Oh, darn, I was hoping I can work with you. Well, why wouldn't you work with them? I don't own my clients. And it, Now, I know back east, you guys do buy a broker and you own your clients, so you'll have to modify this. But out here in the wild, wild west, we have buy a broker, I'd say 1% of the agents use it, which means it's like having a listing, but you don't have a listing agreement. Anyone could list the house. So I, I just start working with them. I assume a client. I don't want to hear that. Oh, I have an agent. Oh, that's nice. I always say, well, there's no law that says you can't have two. Because you know what? There's no law 
that says you can't have two. You could have five agents looking for you. And I said, you know what? I'm a great looker. Let me look for you. I will outwork your agent and I will find you an amazing house at a ridiculously low price. And if I'm wrong, then you could buy for your agent. But what if I call you in a week or two and I, with an amazing home like this at a crazy good price because I'm well connected and I network with hundreds of agents and your agent didn't call you, don't you think maybe I deserve your business? They go, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, and so I always say there's no law that says you can't have two. They can even have two if they have a buyer broker. They can have two. The buyer broker just requires them to pay a commission to that one company. And I'll explain that to them. But I, I, if they have a buyer broker, I don't work with them. I let them go. But if you think about it, they could still have two or three agents even if they have a buyer broker. And they could buy through another agent. They will owe a commission to the other firm. Um, but, again, so I just think it's crazy when they well, – I don't want to steal anybody's client. You're not stealing anybody's client. These, these people want to buy a home, and you're giving them service. And if you do a great job, you've earned a right to a commission. Nobody owns their clients unless you do a buyer broker, but even then you don't own them. Let's talk about how you're getting all these people to the open house. You started telling us a little bit about the signs. First of all, what are all the different methods you use to get people to the open house? And, and also give us some of those details. Well, my signs, most people's signs say, you know, Coldwell Banker, Remax, Keller Williams. I'm a Keller Williams guy. You know, you advertise your brokerage and it says open house in an arrow. Well, the arrow doesn't make anybody come. The word Coldwell Banker, Remax, or Keller Williams doesn't make anybody come. There's only one reason people show up. It's because you have the word open house. What if you added on there free list of area homes? I was over at the ocean the other day, and the guy actually had that. And I actually stopped because I wanted to get a list of the area homes to see what prices were going for. See, so um, the open house didn't motivate me to stop, but the free list of area homes did. So why don't we put some more reasons for them to come? Back in the day, I'd put HUD home. Or I put 500 moves you in because you were able to do that back in the day. And then a program for 500 bucks, you could buy a HUD home. So 500 moves you in, free list of area homes, open house. So there's three reasons to come. Some people, uh, or bank repo, open house, free list of area homes. And you got to get creative with the arrow. But some people come because bank repo, they sense blood in the water. Other people come for the free list of area homes. They pull up. The house is a two-story. They want a one-story. They normally drive away, pull up, and then drive away. Oh, it's a two-story. Let's leave. Why even go in? Oh, oh, there's that free list of area homes. Let's go get it because we like this area. We're driving around this area. So they come in, half come in for the free list of area homes. But no, everybody in America uses their dumb brokerage. Uh, Keller Williams, I work for Keller Williams, and I love Keller Williams. Uh, Keller Williams doesn't make people come in, but the but if you can print it big enough and make it look right with the graphic designer, free list of area homes, and I'd be happy to provide a copy of my signs. I had to get rid of the word bank repo because we don't have any more in California. There are none. I had to get rid of the HUD home 500 moves you in because they made it illegal. If you put 500 moves you in, now you have to quote the um, APR with it. And um, actually got sued by a realtor representing the great state of California for faulty advertising because I didn't have the APR on my sign because of Regulation Z. I'm like, what the heck is all that? But I settled with the guy for 500 bucks. He was such a worm, and he probably kept 490, gave the state of California 10 dollars apparently. But we have a new rule that says you have to have the APR 
if you have some sort of a down payment on your sign. So you live and you learn, cheap lesson, 500 bucks. But so now my signs say must see, free list of area homes and open house. So I only have two calls to action on my signs currently. We just have no HUD homes, we have no bank repos, and we can't quote dollar down in California. I don't know if Reg Z is nationwide or not. Have you heard of Regulation Z and, and all that, Mike? I have, and it is national. It is national, okay. It's a federal law. I'd be happy to provide you a copy of my signs, but and then, and then, um, so when I went to this, the company I emulated way when I went from 28 to 48, um, John Brooks Realty, they had 30 signs out and they had 500 moves you in, free list of area homes and open house. I get there, there's like 40 cars out front. People are upstairs, downstairs, in the backyard, in the house, in the front yard. It was like a zoo. And it was, they didn't put out five signs, they put out 30. And they had three reasons to show up, and they must have had 70, 80 people there. And the light bulb just went on, and I simply caught everything I've ever done. Even my radio program, we even got it. I copied Jay Kinder, one of the most successful agents out there. I copied Jay. Jay and I are great friends. And 10 years ago, I go, Jay, how's it going? It's going awesome. You should try it. So I did. And I've been on the radio for 10 years, and I'm probably the one of the top most well-known agents in Sacramento, if not the number one guy, but I've been on the radio for a decade, you know, branding. So that's a whole nother story. But back to the open houses, it's putting out a lot of them, reaching the major artery, going all the way to a freeway or some eight-lane road, or maybe, well, the biggest road we got in my town is two lanes. So great, get to it. And then pepper it with signs and then run them in. Because I always use the analogy of a fruit stand. It's like you're driving through the desert or the high plains or on some boring rural road, and all of a sudden you see pears, you know, 25 cents a pound, strawberries, you know, $1.99 a crate, you know, watermelon, 18 cents a pound, and grapes, and Fuji apples, and there's sign after sign after sign after sign, and all of a sudden you look at whoever you're with, you let's stop at that little fruit stand, man, I'm craving some doggone grapes, or uh, let's get some strawberries. And three minutes ago, you weren't even thinking about it, but now you're, you're kind of hungry. You're like, man, it sounds good. Let's, yeah, let's get some pears. And all of a sudden, you pull over. And so that's why having 30 sites is so important. People are texting, eating, talking, going 70 miles an hour. You need sign after sign after sign after sign after sign, like the fruit stand, to get their attention, to go, whoa, what's happening here? You know, And then you get to the the intersection, I put two on each corner, not like one or two signs. You know, I want to be polite, one or two signs. I have two on each corner, so it's eight signs at the intersection going, go left. And then they like, they turn left like a moth to the flame, like a bug to the bug zapper light. They're like, oh, they're, 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 they're hypnotized. And then they show up in droves. And then you just kind of weed through them and find the motivated people. And you stay with it. And when I get a good one, I stay with them until I'm done. And if a good couple leaves, they leave. I don't run to each couple like a dog wagging my tail. I, I try to get through each couple as quick as I can. I go to the next and the next. Most of you are bored stiff because you put out five signs that said Remax open house. And nobody came to your dumb open house and you're convinced they don't work. So it's a different approach and it works. Not every time. Stick with it. But it does work consistently big time. Could you give us a, a few more details about the sign itself? For instance, is it a stick-in-the-ground sign? Is it an A-frame sign? Good question. I used to use signs that were made out of P 
PCV pipe, which is like a water pipe you run in your backyard to your sprinklers, little white pipes, you know, plastic, sure. hard plastic. And I put concrete in the legs so they wouldn't blow away. I have a sign shop make them. And then I'd use like this uh, canvas. You could hit it with a fire hose and it wouldn't run. And the letters were plastic peeled onto the can. It was all professionally done. And they were about five feet tall and three feet wide. So they, they were eye-catching. They were, they were orange with black letters. I mean, you, you could miss them. Most open house signs are what? About two feet wide and three feet high. And they sit on the corner, maybe a little floppy balloon in the wind, maybe a white balloon and a blue balloon, maybe a red balloon that says Keller Williams. But, um, and you hardly notice it. And you're going through that intersection trying not to get hit, and you certainly don't turn into the dumb open house. So these signs are huge. They were $100 a piece. And back then, I, I um, would put out, like, a ton of them. And sometimes the city would pick them up, and uh, we'd lose $1,400 worth of signs in a day. But it was worth it. We made so much money. That didn't happen all the time. But I've had all my signs taken by the city. I've had them vandalized. So I've, I've migrated to, believe it or not, corrugated plastic. They're two feet by three feet. They're yellow with black letters. And um, they cost about seven bucks each. If I lose uh, 15 of them, you know, it's, you know, under a hundred bucks. It's not going to devastate me financially. And I order hundreds of them and we put them up. They, they, they'll want to use a metal stake. All this, all the sign companies will want to give you like these uh, wire meshy metal stakes, just a little stronger than a coat hanger, about five times the strength of a coat hanger, and you put it in the ground. The problem is there's a lot of hard pan everywhere. So I actually use uh, rod iron black stakes, and they go into the signs that's thin up top, but down below, man, they'll punch through concrete. I've actually broken some of those in hard pan, but rarely, and they just punch right into the earth. Now, some places literally... It was such hard pan, even those wouldn't go through in Folsom and Eldorado Hills. So then you got to get a few that are like A-framey, get four or five that have the A-frame that you pop open, and you put those on the hard pan. You can make it work. Well, I'd do it, but I have hard pan where I live. We'll get the A-frame ones, and well, it costs an extra 15 bucks. Well, good, okay. So you get a 20 times 15, uh, 200, uh, $300. It costs you an extra 300 bucks. Grow up. Get Get what you need to do your craft. I know a painter that'll spend 2500 bucks on a compressor, and he's just painting fences, guys. So don't be afraid to invest in your business, you know? Anyways, hope that wasn't too harsh. On those signs, do you always do the arrow to the left or the right, or do you also do it, say, straight up or straight ahead? Yeah, when we get someone started, we encourage them to get 20 arrows, and they all go one way, but you flip the sign and by flipping the sign, they're on they're on both sides. They're there's there's front and back, it looks identical. And you just if you want to go left, you point the arrow left. If you want to go right, you just flip it around and now you're going right. So they all turn the same way. You just flip the sign to get it to point whatever direction you want, if that makes sense. And then twenty of those and then five where the arrow is going straight to the top. So that those mean keep going straight and then You'll put one, and then you look down the road a quarter mile, and you go, I can see down there, and you drive to where you can see, and you put another one. And then you look another quarter mile, about as far as you can see, and you drive as far as you can see, and you put another one. And then you follow your path. You go, oh, I see one. You go, oh, there's another sign way down there. And they follow that. They go, boom, boom. It's like Hansel, Hansel and Gretel, breadcrumbs. You're breadcrumbing them to your open house. And, you know, you can get a good ways with five of them. 
sometimes if, if you're going to do obviously two, three, four miles, then you need about uh, 15 straights. Um, I'm a little extreme, but I get extreme results, you know. So, um, you know, anyways, I know what it's like to make $280,000 net in a month, you know, not a year, in a month. So don't be afraid to be a little extreme. Don't be afraid to do them in a windstorm and you have to go to Cragen's Auto Supply and buy bungee cords and bungee cord them to trees, telephone poles, and signs. I you know, do them in the rain, do them and it's 108 degrees. I never missed. But that's the key of any successful person in any field. They are consistent as the morning sunrise. And uh, they follow their business plan. They don't go, well, let's go snow skiing. Oh, I got invited to go snow skiing. Grow up. Say no. Follow your plan. Ski during the week. Do whatever you want. Go houseboating. Do it during the week. Work on the weekends. So signs are a big part of your promotion. Do you do anything other than the signs to promote your open house? I don't, but I've recently bumped into people that are putting ads on Craigslist. They're... uh, they're doing some different things, and I'm actually going to start implementing that. You can always improve what you're doing, and, and they've noticed a, a difference. So um, I never advertise them in the MLS. There's a way to advertise them in the MLS, and, and we recently started doing that as well. Our MLS lets you advertise the open house, and so we're, we're going to add to what we're doing. Well, Brent, I'm going to leave open houses here. Before I do, is there anything else you think an agent listening who wants to do open houses in a big way, anything else you could advise them that we haven't talked about yet? Do you have a way to get people a copy of my sign if I were to give it to you? Oh, yes. Yeah, we can definitely post uh, any samples that you have. We can post. Thank you. Okay, I'll give you a copy of my sign. Plus, they need a copy of my 5 by 7 loan application. I'm more of a loan officer than I'm a real estate agent when I'm out there. Now, if the couple's in their Range Rover or their BMW 7 Series, and you could just tell they have money, I don't make them fill out the application. But I say, have you gotten pre-qualified, pre-approved yet? They go, no, we haven't. I go, if you take one minute and fill that out, you're done. And I'll call you Monday with your approval. That's it. That's the whole spiel. And they go, yeah, that, uh, doesn't everybody want quick? I mean, you pull up the Starbucks, there's no lines at Starbucks. You're like, yes. And you, or you order and you go in. But you pull up the Starbucks and 15 cars backed up in the drive-thru. You're like, oh, man. And no, and what is it, a 10-minute wait? But nobody wants to wait 10 minutes. We want things quick. So when I say take one minute, and that's why it's important, you keep it five by seven. Your lender will want to add stuff. Well, it doesn't ask if they pay alimony or child support. We'll ask that later. I would just want to know if they have good credit. We'll ask more questions later. Because if it's too big, they won't fill it out. If it's eight and a half by 11, they won't fill it out. But little five by seven, I drop the pin and go, oh, this takes one minute. I'll call you Monday with your approval. Our approval department is liberal and generous as they come. Take one minute, fill it out, you're done. And mainly, I use that on people that I think need it. And um, and they look at each other, yeah, that's there. Yeah, okay, go ahead. And then on there, their social security numbers are on there. It just, I don't ask them for it. It's on the form. And they get it. They fill it all out, and I turn them in. My lender loves it. And now, again, if the guy says, oh, I'm a doctor with Kaiser Hospital, I'm, I'm, a, I'm head of the, the school district, uh, I'm a college professor, you can just see, then I back off that a little bit. You know, I might take a little shot at it, but I don't, you know, oh, no, we're already pre-approved. We're putting 300000 down. I drop it, and I don't fill out the whole form. But I'll also provide you a copy of that 5 by 7 form, 
when I worked with Remax, I had the balloon logo on there. Now I'm at Keller Williams for five years. I have a swirly KW on there. You could copy my form. I give you permission and then put Prudential or Century 21 or whatever logo you want on it. Put a nice little logo, make it look professional, and um, and then people will fill it out like hotcakes. So I'll provide you that too. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you, Brent. I really appreciate that. Yep. Let's move on to another medium that you've used and you said it's really taking off, and that is radio ads. Before we get into the specifics of your radio ad, though, you start to bring it up. It sounds to me like you're doing some type of radio talk show. Is that correct? Yeah, I have a, I have a one-hour program every weekend, Saturdays, 4 to 5. You guys can tune in nationwide. It's every weekend, West Coast, California time, 4 to 5. Uh, just go to Google and put uh, KFBK um, 1530 AM, KFBK 1530 AM. I think the web, I think it's KFBK.com. I don't know, but Google KFBK 1530 AM. I'm on every weekend, West Coast time, 4 to 5 PM. You can listen to my show, listen live online from your, from wherever you are. For those of you East Coasters, that's uh, what, seven o'clock at night. Your day's over. You can listen to my show if you want, but yeah, I, I have an hour program on real estate. It's a live call-in show. KFBK is one of the top AM stations in the nation, one of the top 15. Uh, Tom Sullivan, who does the national news for Fox, if you listen to Fox on the radio, Tom Sullivan, he came from that radio station. And there's one other guy that came from our station here in Sacramento. You guys might might have heard of him. His name is Rush Limbaugh. So uh, Rush, Tom Sullivan, a lot of people came from this station in Sacramento. Yeah, I do that every Saturday. And did you say you've been doing that for 10 years? No. Um, interesting enough, I started, Mike, copying Jay. I was running ads. And I started, I called him up and just started running ads on the station. And didn't really know what I was doing. And and I, and, and so we came up with a campaign. I was spending 14000 a month. So I was already, you know, fairly uh, doing well and successful if I, ha- if I was able to spend fourteen grand a month before I hit the radio. They thought I was advertising for Remax Corporate. And I go, no, just right here, like, oh, for your office? No, just me. They're like, you're an agent and you have a $14,000 a month advertising budget. You have the discretionary funds, fourteen grand a month? I go, yeah. So the, they were taking bets I wouldn't last three months because in three months, two months is twenty-eight grand. Three months is forty-two thousand dollars, and um, and and I lasted two years. Two years later, I was still there, and I dropped my spend down to twelve thousand a month, or one hundred forty-four thousand a year. And it was—I'll be honest with you—it was going okay. I wouldn't say it was going great. I was making more money than I was spending, but you know, even if you made double that, a quarter of a million, you're spending—you know—three hundred thousand from the radio, but you spend one forty-four. That just really means you're you're working for, you know, half, and it's like you're paying a 50% referral fee instead of to a broker. You're paying to the radio station. That's horrible. So I wasn't really happy with it. I blamed myself for it. I didn't have good call to action. I was making so much money back in those days that um, it was back in 0405. It's been 10 years that I just you know I was I was I was irresponsible um, and. Uh, so they finally came to me and said, we think that you're very personable, very passionate, very knowledgeable. You're the top agent for Remax five years in a row. We think you should do a weekend show on real estate. We think the listeners would really like it. I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want to be stuck at your radio station every weekend. 
so I turned him down for half a year. I looked the gift horse in the mouth and turned it down. Biggest mistake of my life, but thank God they kept pursuing me. After six months, I said, I'll give it a shot. And the first six months I did it, I really didn't like it. I was nervous. I was sweating. I was freaking out. And, um, and it took me about six months to get comfortable with it. And, but I found the result to be uh, 10 times higher than the ads. I was getting a 10, literally, well, I don't know about that, but it was a significant return, way better. Instead of just, you know, some company advertising on the radio, you know, come to the sleep mattress, sleep train, and buy a mattress. I was the expert on a topic. And people would call me and say, hey, come list my $800,000 house. Would love your show. Great, 6%, right? They wouldn't even dicker the commission. It was great. And so I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I did that for six years until about two years ago. And then two years ago, I started running ads again during the week. But my ad I was running hit nerve in the public. And with the ad, I probably started making an extra three or 400000 a year with the particular ad I was running. Just the one ad, which we'll, I think we have now. You have a copy of that ad, don't you, Mike? I do. If you want to play it, you can play it right now. But this ad made me an extra 300000 net income last year alone. And this year, probably an extra $400,000. This particular ad, above and beyond what the show generates. So this ad is golden. Well, Brent, let's listen to that ad, and then we can critique it afterwards. So let's, let's give that a shot. By the way, I only run it, I think I run it, once on Tuesday, twice on Wednesday, and once on Thursday. That's it. I only run the sucker like four times. I don't run it on Monday. Don't run it on a Friday. Our station's very big, very expensive. But go ahead and play the ad. It's a one-minute ad. What time of the day do you run that ad? I run it in the mornings uh, during Rush Limbaugh or in the afternoons during Tom Sullivan. It bounces around. That's prime time in radio. Let's take a quick listen here. Here we go. Hi, this is Brent Gove, host of The Real Estate Report. Hey, if you're listening to this show and you're thinking, I should call that guy, you know what? You should probably call me, especially if you're thinking about listing your house. Um, A lot of you, I'm sure, go to Zillow, and Zillow's great for getting data. But if there haven't been recent sales or comparable-type sales to your home in your neighborhood, chances are that Zillow's coming in way low. I bet your home's worth quite a bit more than you even imagined. So again, if you're thinking of selling, what I want you to do is actually call me. I'm a full-time agent with Keller Williams Real Estate. I'd love to help you. My number is 916-223-5555. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what your home's actually worth, and you're going to be shocked because Sacramento just got voted the number two city in the entire country for a real estate housing turnaround. So call me up, 223-5555, and let's talk. Nice. Yeah, so it's working really well. And some people didn't even notice it, And uh, but I used some NLP in there, Neural Linguistic Programming. I don't know if I can say it right, but just the way you talk and, and your, your cadence. So some of that's in there, but that ad is just, just flat killed it for me and um, really been awesome. So, um, yeah, that's something someone could copy in their hometown and do, you know. Let's break that down. So you had a, a couple of calls to action. You had them 
calling your phone number. First of all, they recognize your voice. They trust you. And that's that's probably huge right there. You're going after sellers. You're asking them if they're going to list their home. You've mentioned that they may be going online to get a valuation of their property at Zillow or Trulia. Uh, however, that estimate may be far off, and if they want an accurate picture of the value of their home, they should call you. That's really strong, and, and you have a, a target, you have a call to action, and you have that trust already built up because they probably have already heard of you on your radio show, and I'm sure it goes together. What else in that radio ad is working? You've mentioned NLP. What do you mean by that? You hesitate, and um, like... Uh, like the like you'll hear me hear hear me hesitate they go call me and um just just the way you talk i'd have to go back through it and dissect it but you know when you're thinking about listing your home with me and and all they the way you say it it just sticks in their mind hey i'm going to list my home with him i'm going to call him and there's some weird scientific well i don't understand it but it does work but uh Zillow people I found are really frustrated with Zillow. You know, it's a computer algorithm that just averages the price. And if you've dumped forty grand into your kitchen and you know spent a hundred grand in your backyard and put it, it doesn't. Zillow doesn't know that, and so people are frustrated. And they do call you. Yeah, they go on Zillow. I, I really were thinking of selling, and I keep talking about listing your home, thinking of selling. Call me because you don't want just looky loose. You know, you don't want to take your time telling people that are. Yeah, well, how much is my home worth? You know, if, you're, if they're not thinking of selling or moving, you you will not have the time. So I really try to get people, you know, that are only thinking of listing or selling. And uh, um, and if they do still call me, I'll, I just give them a real quick down and dirty. You just don't have the time to deal with all of it. But um, it is struck in a chord. It works great. Give it about 90 days. Give a budget. Don't run it for two weeks and say it doesn't work. And if you're going to copy my ad, call me. Send me a copy of it. Let me listen to it. My cell phone is 916-223-5555. If you're going to do this, send me the ad. Let me hear it first. I can save you. I've had a couple people do it and not succeed with it, but they're, they sounded terrible on the radio. I, they go, oh, I think it sounds pretty good. Let me hear it. I'll tell you if you've got to redo it. And try it for two or three months. So give it a little bit of time. You're running it four times a week during prime time. You mentioned it's not inexpensive. How much is that costing you? Yeah, right now we're spending about 5000 a month on these ads. So, you know, not everyone has that kind of a budget. My show is to pay for the show. The show is about 8000 a month. But it was the ads that really... And the ads before, it's so weird. When I did them before, I was spending 14000 a month and not getting near But the, the message was wrong. You could spend money on TV or radio and not get the result you want. It's the message. So this particular ad, it's Zillow is the number one. They're, they're the big dog nationwide. Zillow is it. And um, people go there, but they're, they're frustrated. So it, it just, it's right now, it's, I don't know how long it'll work for, but it's working. You know, I've been running that ad for a year and a half, and I'm just killing it. When you say killing it, what kind of results are you seeing back? Well, I've added uh, last year an extra 300000 on my income. And, um, and then this year, it looks like probably an extra 400000 because of those ads. 
So that's my, if I can do something and add an extra 300,000, that's killing it. That's my way of, of defining that. So if I just ran some quick numbers in my head, sounds like you're spending about 13,000 a month between the ad and the show, about 150, 156,000 a year. You're bringing in another 300. So you're basically doubling your money. No, it's an additional 300 because of the ad. The show, the show itself, prior to running that ad, is probably responsible for about, um, I would say, three to four hundred thousand of income as well. So altogether, you're looking about six to eight hundred thousand in revenue from the radio. But here's the difference: when you have the show, you have advertisers that want to buy time on your show. So I dropped my bill from fourteen thousand to twelve thousand to where I had a show and people bought time on my show. So the 8,000 the show cost is paid for by advertisers. So I dropped my advertising budget from 14 to 12 to zero. So altogether, I'm spending 60,000 a year and my return from the radio is running anywhere from six to 800,000. Wow, so you're, you're making 10 to one. So how are, the, how are those numbers for some quick numbers? <laughs> I like those numbers better. So you're putting a dollar into your radio advertising, and because of the, the whole picture of what you're doing, you're getting $10 back out. That's a great way to look at it. That's absolutely correct. And the branding. Your past clients hear it, and I bump into them. They listen all the time. So the show is, is really huge. I encourage anybody to do it, but you need some staying power. You know, it takes a little while to get it going, but I would I would never give it up after 10 years. I hope I'm doing this 20 years from now, just an hour. And when, when I want, like this weekend, I'm going to Tahoe, Lake Tahoe with my family, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, headed to the cabin. I'll just play a best of show. So I'm, I'll go to Maui. I'm going to the Caribbean in November. I got 13 cabins booked. We're bringing almost 30 people, some of the, you know, our staff and agents, and we're going to go have a great time, a deep Caribbean cruise on a, a Royal Caribbean cruise ship called the Oasis, one of the largest cruise ships in the world. We're going to have a great time. Again, I'll play a best of probably two weekends in a row. I just go back and go pick a great show from October and a great show from September. and they'll. So I'm free to travel. I'm not locked down. You're not stuck. You just play a best of. Rush Limbaugh does it. A lot of these shows, oh, today you're listening to a best of, and they go play. So you're not trapped. I, that was my big thing. I don't want to be trapped. I thought I would be. I found out you're not at all. I think a surprise people would have is that you pay the station to do the show. You would think that the station would pay you, but you're paying the station $8,000 a month to do the show, but then you're able to offset that by having advertising. Did you have to go out and find the advertisers, or did the station help you locate those people to, to sponsor the show? Radio stations primarily exist for one reason and survive for one reason advertising. It's all about advertising. They like good show content. They like talent. They need it or people won't listen. And the better the talent, the more listeners they get. And the more listeners they get, the more advertising they get, and the more they can charge. But it's all about advertising. So the weekend shows you here on, you know, almost 100% of those stations, I would say 90% of those shows are paid. You know, there's a, a few shows on my station that are not paid, but they're just a handful and they're funky, weird times that nobody else wants. And, you know, so they let somebody do it. They have somebody do a show, but yeah, no, it's all paid. Let's talk about your team real quickly. 
Could you tell me how many people are on your team and what positions they hold? Yeah, I have 10 showing agents. I allow them to list homes too, but mainly they tend to work with buyers as you hire new agents. They tend to be buyer-based. If they stumble across a listing, I list it. Whatever split they're on, if they're on a 50-50, then they get 50, I get 50. If they're on a 60-40, they get 60, I get 40. As years go by, I don't do any lead generation for my agents. I give them the fishing pole and send them out there to the riverbanks, which are I teach them my open house program. So I have no overhead. They don't cost me anything. They do their own lead generation. First year, they're 50-50. Second year, 60-40. Third year, 70-30. Fourth year, 80-20. Now, most agencies you can't make any money on 80-20. I don't spend any money on them. I don't lead generate for my agents. I don't give leads to my agents. Now, of course, I get busy, and sometimes I give leads to my agents. But And when I do, I typically give it to one who's on a 50-50, and then I'm getting a 50% referral fee, not a 25% referral fee like many of you. And if one is good, two is better, 10 is better. You know, in 05, when I did 429 sales, I had 47 buyer's agents working for me. I didn't have my own office. I was just an agent. Instead of having one or two or three, I had 47. I was leveraged. Remember I said you leverage through staff, through agents. There's three ways. Marketing, you leverage marketing. I'm doing that with the radio. I'm going to be embracing Zillow big time as far as the marketing that Zillow offers in the future. I really think that's a a huge trend in the future. I give myself an F right now, but I'll be at A status in the next 90 days. I'll have like 100 reviews. And uh, Zillow's big. But marketing, the database, and then people, either assistants, staff, or showing agents. I have one listing agent. She takes everything under 300000 because I don't want to do it. I get busy with the home at 150, and I'm so busy with it, I don't call back the lead at 800000 And I close the one at 150, Yahoo, then I call the one back at 800. I was three days late. They list with somebody else. I lost 24 grand. So everything under 300 goes to my one. She's super talented and available and great. She doesn't drop the ball, and and we just split it 50-50. That's how I do it. You can do what you want. And then so – but again, 10 showing agents, and I have four full-time staff that help me, uh, like employees. Can you tell us what those positions are with the four staff? Yeah, my uh, key guy, my operations manager, James Stroop, he's incredibly talented. He probably earns seventy, eighty thousand 80000 a year. He might make a hundred this year. Um, depends how things go. But uh, he's, he's paid off how business goes. Uh, so he's my operations manager. And then I have my transaction coordinator, Debbie Tosh. She's been with me for a decade. Um, she handles all the paperwork. We, none of myself nor my agents handle any paperwork. Um, and then I have my closing manager. So if I sell, say, for example, if I sell seven homes personally here in the next uh, two or three weeks, which I should, she takes over once they're sold. And she's been doing real estate for 18 years also. She's very talented. And she takes them to close. And when they close, she gets 600 bucks. But for example, seven times 600 is $4,200. So she'll make 4,200 bucks. I allow her to work with buyers and sellers in her spare time. So she'll probably make fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 this year, but she closes each transaction. She has a TC. She doesn't have to do the paperwork, but she just makes sure that the home inspections get done on time. The appraisals get done on time. The disclosures get out. If there's a request repairs, that that all gets handled. So I don't have to do it. I don't get bound down in escrow itis. 
you know, you got four or five in escrow and you're not busy working on the next. I'm always prospecting and going to the next because I'm great at it. I'm the tip of the spear. That's my one thing is Gary Keller's new book, The One Thing. Get the book. Read it. Oh, my gosh. I was reading Gary Keller's books at Remax. Who cares what company he works from? Be learning-based. Be a student of real estate. Learn, learn, learn. Learn from anybody. If you think you can't learn, I have agents at Remax go, why do you keep going to seminars? I'm going to Kinder Reese in October. I'm going to Haas Pratt in October. In Dallas, I'm going to both. Why? Because I'm learning-based. You can always learn. You can always improve. And the second you think you've arrived, you're, you're history. So, um, yeah, and then we have a runner, which is my dad. He's 78. He's been doing uh, real estate 45-year brokerage, pretty much retired five years ago. But he, he and my dad's awesome. And whatever I can do to help you sense it, he might go oh, pop a house open to show a client. He might go put a lockbox on a house. He might uh, go deliver some disclosures. And um, and I pay him way better than I should, but he's my dad and I love him. And um, and he's just whatever we need, if he's available. Like this weekend, he'll be in Colorado all weekend goofing off. So um, he's not available. But my dad's our runner, and he's really helped us out. He'll go take pictures in a pinch. We do have a full-time photographer as well. Brent, you mentioned you have a transaction coordinator. Can the showing agents use that transaction coordinator? And do you charge them a fee for that service? They're all required to use her. I do not want them doing it themselves. You know, it's a great way to get sued. My TC, any good TC will keep you out of a lawsuit. Kind of remind the agents who are new sometimes. I have an agent, she's new, and she's got four in escrow. And she doesn't know what she's doing, but she's great with people. And people love her. But I'm sure glad she's not handling the paperwork and timelines. So that TC's there backing it up, kind of almost teaching her as well as I'm teaching her and uh, making sure things get handled properly. So they're required to use the TC, and our TC is expensive. She's $350 a file. Most people get TCs for $250, $275, $300 a file. We pay ours $350, and on all my files, I actually pay her $400, but she'll whip out an addendum for me, a counteroffer for me, a 40-hour notice to perform for me. She'll, she'll actually fill out for I just call her up and say, hey, I need you to do a notice to perform on Crestview Circle, they're not performing, whip out the form, send it to me by a DocuSign, bam, bam, I slam my signature on it, and it goes back, and then she takes care of it. So I, I give her an extra 50 bucks, so I pay her 400 a file, but she goes a little above and beyond the TC work for me. When one of your showing agents has a contract that goes to the TC to get closed up, there's this $350 fee. Are you paying the fee, or does the showing agent pay the fee? Great question. It comes off the top. If we're on a 50-50, we split the fee. If they're on a 60-40, they pay 60% of the fee. I pay 40. 70-30, they pay 70% of the fee. I pay 30, 80-20, and so on. So it depends upon their commission split as to how that is split. Well, Brent, are you profitable? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I'm really the only outgo I have right now are my radio ads, and I'm killing it. Uh, the radio is paid for as far as my show with people, you know, mortgage companies, title companies, insurance companies, solar. Solar is huge right now. Solar companies, property management companies, they're just beating the door down. In the beginning, you'll have to go looking for them, but they'll go just say, hey, try my show for 60 days, you know, 500 a month, and I'll refer you business, and plus you'll get business off the show. And they're like, done, you know. Now you got to be somewhat established agent to heck they'll do it just for your referrals and then make sure you're promoting them on your radio show. And you do, you know, sometimes I talk about 
on my show about having the proper home insurance or about termites. You got pest companies and termite companies, you know, general contractors. There's so many people that could advertise. So yeah, the show's free and um, you have that and, and my staff are, are paid actually independent contractor status. As I close a the deal, they get paid. If I don't get paid, they don't get paid. So I have no payroll and I do not control their hours. But I tell them, if you don't get your job done, it won't work and you won't be working here. And my staff's amazing. They all get the work done. I make sure they love it. I spoil them. I treat them white, take them to the Caribbean. Thinking, oh, you're rich. You can do that. It's a $1,500 a couple cruise for seven days. It's not expensive. I, they get their airline tickets to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I spent 1500 bucks on them, but that's one sale this year out of 200 And I'm able to, and their family goes, he's taking you to the Caribbean? Uh, next year we're going to Maui? The stuff's not expensive if you do group bookings and you create a lot of goodwill and people sometimes they get upset and want to quit. Like, well, I'm going to quit after the Caribbean, after Maui. And then by the time the Caribbean and Maui comes, you're having so much fun, they forgot what they were upset about, they never quit. So it's a great retention tool and, and it creates a lot of goodwill. And my team loves each other and we we play together, pray together, party together, you know. I mean, party. I, I I might have a glass of wine once a week or something, you know, beer. That's it. But we party. We enjoy life. We enjoy each other, each other's kids. And uh, so, yeah, every year we take a fun trip, too. Brent, would you mind disclosing to us what your net profit margin is? I haven't figured out what that number is. So I wish I could give you an uh, an actual number. I know this year I'll, I should net... I wanted to net a million dollars and I'm probably going to fall um, a little short of that for various reasons that are too long to go into here, but I'll probably net conservatively 850,000 net. So that's actual net in my pocket. So I haven't figured out what the percentage is to grow sales. I, I just, I don't I haven't figured out. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't have that answer. Brett, what drives you? Wow. Travel. I go somewhere every month. We're going to Tahoe this month. Last month I was golfing in Arizona, Scottsdale, golfing True North, Pinnacle Monument, Eagle Mountain, the Dinosaur. I'm an avid golfer. I go to Las Vegas. I go to Palm Springs. I go to Arizona. I do the Tahoe Rim Run, uh, Edgewood at Tahoe, which is a celebrity course everyone sees every year. I play that uh, a couple times a year. So every month I'm taking a trip twice a year. We go to Cabo every year. We go to Maui, the Caribbean. So I'm, I'm, I love to travel with my wife alone and with the kids. They're both great vacations. One's even more fun. <laughs> Anyways, but um, uh, nothing like being in Cabo for seven days with your wife. And uh, it's pretty dreamy if you've ever been to Land's End Cabo with those infinity edge pools. And it's just a great time. I'm motivated by my family, by travel, by I just got back from Haiti last month. I also went to Haiti, did a medical mission with 19 people from my church. We brought doctors and nurses. I have none of those skills, but I went anyway. It just helped out. Poorest nation on earth, they have nothing, and it was really awesome. And no, we were a drop in the bucket, but there are 30 teams that go to that region, and with, with all 30 of us, we make a huge difference. So... I was in Guatemala a few years before that, in an orphanage in the jungles before that, in the uh, Tibet, and the Dalai Lama's palace, in the Himalayas, and Mount Everest. So I'm, I'm kind of a travel guy, but mainly 
sunny, warm, tropical places is my deal. And uh, so that's playing golf, enjoying my family. I got five kids, my wife, very balanced, you know. So I, you know, like my wife and I go out every Wednesday night. We'll go out tonight. We go out every Saturday night, just her and I. I date her. We're on dates. Every Friday, every Wednesday, we love it. We're busy and we look forward to it. We used to do once a week, our whole marriage, 23 years. Now we're up to twice a week. I love her more today than I did like those couples you hear. It's true. It's time goes by. Uh, at least for us it is. And then I take my kids out on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Last night we went and saw a family movie together. We went and saw the 100, 100 foot gap. It's that French restaurant and the Indian restaurant. That is a heartwarming movie. Great movie. Highly recommend it. Saw that last night with my kids. I take them out Thursday night. Friday night we have youth. Every Wednesday morning I take my son golfing with a PGA pro to work. He's 10 years old. He just loves golf. And <laughs> that's not making me sad in any way. I, I get lessons too. So we, I have all the time scheduled in church, and, and I, live, I live by my calendar. Um, I don't react to life. I act on life. So I don't even remember what you asked me now. I'm, I'm the king of going <laughs> off the rabbit trails, but hopefully that helped. It did. Brent, why have you been so successful? Well, I took the credit for that once when I was uh, 23 and went bankrupt about four years later. So I will not tell you it's because I am the world's greatest salesman, although I love that book, The World's Greatest Salesman by Og Mandino. You should all get it and read it. It's amazing. But um, I would say um, the favor of God. I've done all the right things and had things not work out. So for me, I get on my knees and I thank God and I'm grateful to the Lord. And, um, and so I give God the credit as to why I'm so successful yeah, because without his favor and blessing, I wouldn't be. I truly believe that. And everyone, some people, whatever, some people are agnostic. That's cool. Whatever, you got your thing. Some of you are atheists. That's cool. You know, love you all. You know, I love the Muslims, and it's too bad some of the extreme ones don't feel that way back. But um, anyways, uh, and then, of course, working for it. Studying, going to seminars, uh, asking people, going to inviting the speaker to breakfast, or can I buy you coffee? And then interrogating them, having the gift of observation. Look around, who's succeeding? Copy them, you know. And so for me, I thank the Lord, and then I work my tail off and and emulate success. I'm, I don't invent things; I just uh, emulate what I see that's working. And for my next big project, it's Zillow, getting reviews on. Zillow. It's the wave of the future. Trust me. I'm telling you, Zillow is it. So I'm excited, even though right now I'm a total failure at it. But a good friend of mine, Joran Force, is going to coach me, and he's one of the top guys in the nation. So even me, I'm being coached. I'm learning. I'm going to create a new revenue source through Zillow. Brent, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting into business, what would you tell them to do first? Man, for me, I mean, my journey's been open houses. If I parachuted into, you know, uh, say um, Colorado City, Colorado, I'd get 30 or 40 open house signs. I'd get out there at 8 in the morning on Saturday, and I'd, I'd stay out there till 8 at night on Saturday. Then I'd get out there, you know, Sunday, and i, I you know, go to church in the morning. If that's your gig, it's my gig, as you guys know. And then I would go do the open houses, and I get tons of clients. People starve in real estate because they don't. The key is lead generation, mastering lead generation. If I was new, I would pick something, 
You know, who do you know who's succeeding? Are they calling the expireds and they canceled and withdrawn? Are they door knocking? I just, I don't understand the whole door knocking thing, but I know some people are successful with it. Farming, what is it they do? Copy. To me, I would hands down do the open houses. I can really get people up and running incredibly quickly. I've hired many people that have sold four, five, six, seven homes their first month just from open houses. It's such a quick way and it's inexpensive. Other than ordering the signs, it's free. And I think it's a great way to go. And that's what I do if you're new. That's what I do. Keep pushing the envelope. Well, I did one from 11 to 4. We'll go 8 to 8. You know, try a new location. Move around. Don't stay in the same location. Well, I'm intimidated to do the 800,000. Go do them. I was intimidated to do the radio. I hated it. I felt like they, all the oxygen was sucked out of the radio booth. I hated it. But you know what? Successful people do what unsuccessful people are not willing to do. They do what's uncomfortable. And, and, and you need, if you're uncomfortable, then you're, you are right on track. Because pretty soon you do what's uncomfortable long enough and it becomes comfortable. And then pretty soon you're being interviewed for a national radio show. I published my first book called Momentum two years ago on real estate. You can get that at Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com. That's a shameless plug. <laughs> and, uh, and you're writing books. You're speaking. I'm speaking in Dallas uh, for Haas Pratt. Uh, seminars. I've spoken at Kinder Reese uh, seminars many, many times, three or four times. This year, I'm just attending. But, um, you know, they mix up their speaker base. But um, go. Be learning-based. Be a sponge. Get the gift of interrogation. Ask lots of questions. And be passionate and get excited. Slap yourself in the face. Wake up and, and dream big. Do big things. That's my advice if you're new. You mentioned your book, and if somebody wanted to learn more about you and your, I, I know you do training as well, where would they look for that? And just give us a couple of minutes here real quick on what do you have to offer? Where could they find it? Okay. If you want to find, if you like my style and what I do, um, you can go to Brent Gove. My first name is Brent, B-R-E-N-T. Last name's Gove, G-O-V is in Victor E, Brent Gove Seminars with an S, dot com. And uh, on that website, I offer my book, Momentum, and they sell all over. You can get it also get it at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com as well. And then number two, uh, at BrentGoveSeminars.com, I offer three DVDs. One DVD is called How to Write Winning Offers and Never Lose Again. How to Get in a Multiple Offer Situation with Five, Six, Seven Other Agents and Whip Their Butts Every Time. The stuff I talk about is people who have been doing real estate 30 years just drop their jaw and go, I can't believe I never thought of that. So get that DVD called How to Write Winning Offers. There's also a DVD called How to Build a Mega Team. You know, I'm going to go on to sell another three, four, five hundred homes a year. I'm very good at it. I've already done it. And I talked to you exactly step by step how to build a team. You know, I talked about where my failures were, where my successes were, avoid this, do this. You know, so it's a great DVD, How to Build a Mega Team. Get that one. The final DVD I offer is um, How to Do a Mega Open House, How to Actually Get 50 to 100 People to Your Open House. In great detail, a whole hour on each. It's an hour on how to write winning offers, an hour on how to build a mega team, an hour on how to do mega open houses. And it's all at brentgoveseminars.com. We've come to the end. I've run out of questions. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, man. Um, 
see whose life you can change. Who can you help? You know, I know you guys are all trying to survive and make it in real estate, but it's so rewarding when you reach out to the secretary at your office and you, you know, maybe give her a gift card to grocery because she's a single mom and it's 25 bucks and maybe you don't got much, but it's, it's really about who can you help in life. And that's where you're really winning. Someone's having a hard day and you sense it. Don't just blow by them. Go, no, how are you doing really? Tell you the truth, I'm really struggling. You can pray for them. You, if you have money and they need some, you can financially help them. You could, There's a lot of things you can do. Support them, be there for them, invite them and their kids over. But who can I help in life? That's the true winners in life. They're givers. So be a giver and be student-based, be learning-based, and master lead generation. If you will do those things, I think you're going to have a very happy, fulfilling, exciting life. I get fired up every morning when I wake up, but those are the things I do, and, and I get on my knees and thank God. So that's my parting thought. Well, Brent, you are tenacious. You started slow, but kept plugging away. Every year, you sought out better methods and worked hard to incorporate them into your practice. You doubled your production by focusing on open houses, then doubled again by leveraging that knowledge into a team. Along the way, you've been willing to give back. You've helped those who are ambitious and those in need. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who started the practice in three different cities, learned as he went, and proved you can net a million dollars as a real estate agent by following a simple plan. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.